Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people. And you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Welcome in to the September 5th, the last Sunday before it all begins. Uh, we will be here, of course, live after every Sunday night football game for every Sunday from here on out. But this Sunday, we are closing out our division previews with... Uh, of course, the AFC West um, had to had to be. We had to close out with the Chiefs podcast. Can, can you can you pause for a second and and foreshadow the fact that we did a good job? I think of yes, of giving the other three do. teams. We have Seren Petro on the show. He's fantastic. He's obviously along with Eric, someone that follows the Chiefs pretty closely. But we spent the first part of the podcast and a very solid amount talking about the Chargers, the Raiders, and the Broncos. And of course, we talked about. The Chiefs as well. Seren also gives some great recommendations. This is a fantastic podcast to end our Sundays without football. I can't wait for football. Let's rock. Alrighty, um, this was a fun episode. Uh, Saran, of course, very generous with his time, um, and I, I don't think we need to say much else before we get into it. Do you? Nope. All right. Well, then let's get into it. Saran Petra. We only had one way to to end our previews of the divisions with one of our greatest uh, recurring guests, Saran Petro um, at Saran Petro on Twitter, Sports Radio eight eight ten. Lovely Kansas City. We uh, the last time we had Seren on was live mm -hmm. after the Kansas City Chiefs defeated the Buffalo Bills to make the Super Bowl. Correct for the second consecutive year. Mm -hmm. Welcome back, Seren. It's uh, it's good to be back with you guys, and I I always appreciate when George reaches out and wants a little help understanding the game. I'm always happy <laughs> to spend some time and and point him in the right direction. Thanks for having me. I need I need all the help I can get. Um, we're going to spend uh, eighty percent of this podcast explaining why, without Clyde Edwards-Helaire last year, the Chiefs may not have even made the playoffs. Um, that's going to be our number one topic of of discussion, and how uh, him returning to full strength this year is going to be what enables uh, your Chiefs to. Uh, yeah. um, it's a new year, George. Same old tricks, you know. Yeah, that, that exactly. Exactly. Um, we are going to talk. So we're going to talk AFC West. I, I figured if we started with the Chiefs, then we would never get to the other three teams. Yeah, I agree. 
So um, I want to start with the other three teams. And I want to start um, with this, that to determine which team we start with is to ask you, Seren, the other team that scares you the most is uh, who? You know, like there isn't a team that I think if you're the Kansas City Chiefs that you're afraid of, like knocking you off. I think the, the, the popular answer would be the Chargers, right? They have the quarterback that is perceived to have been at least the equal to Derek Carr, if not superior to Derek Carr now, and would, would seemingly have the most ceiling left. So I think that's the popular answer. I, but I, I don't think there's I don't think that the Chiefs fear the Chargers. Maybe they should because the Chargers had them on the ropes in week two last year, and uh, they needed a furious Patrick Mahomes comeback to, to make it happen. And, you know, they, they beat them when they put in uh, all the backups. So there's, you know, I think the Chargers have a reason to have some confidence. They have a new coach. So there's a lot of ceiling there with the coach. But, um, and, and so that, I think that's fair. I mean, I think really most people look at this division, the Chiefs and three other kind of equal teams, right? And which one is the schedule going to smile on? Which one is the injuries going to smile on? And will either, will Justin Herbert take a major step forward? I think Derek Carr is what he is. Uh, how much can Teddy Bridgewater steady the ship with the Denver Broncos? I mean, I think those are the forces at play, but I think they're all pretty equal. I, I you know, being an avid fan, as you guys know, the PF, uh, PFF forecast, I, I've heard the breakdowns of the rosters. And I agree with what you guys said several, uh, several weeks ago about the Broncos roster, right? They're just missing the quarterback, but having covered the chiefs for a long time and, and grown up here, I've seen those teams that have the great roster, have the schedule smile on them, have injuries smile on them, and they can be a 13 and three division winner. That was the Marty Schottenheimer formula, right? He never had the great quarterback. Now I think it's harder to play Marty Schottenheimer football in the modern NFL, but I think it's still possible. And I think that's the Denver Broncos plan. And so I think their depth of roster and their strength if Teddy Bridgewater can write the ship or Drew Locke take it back over and realize some remaining ceiling there, then I think the talent around him, I think the Broncos are the scarier team. If the Chargers win, uh, that will that won't stun anybody, but I think it'd be more a product of injuries piling up to the Chiefs and the Chargers getting there at like eleven and six. I think the Broncos could have a magical run where it's not the blueprint as, as you guys pointed out, like I said, several weeks ago, they seem to want to win game 16, 13, and that's not the right formula, but I think things can line up injuries and schedule and they could have a pretty good run of it and, and put the chiefs uh, backs against the wall at some point. But I, I think any of the three are likely you make, you make great points there. And I think the interesting thing is, is how it does shine, right? Like Las Vegas is the fifth hardest schedule in the NFL. The chargers have the third, 14th hardest schedule the Denver Broncos of the 28th right I would say by our power rankings it's it's Las Vegas is the best of those three teams Chargers are the second best and the Broncos are the third best now you can disagree we're higher on Vegas because Derek Carr actually does grade well in our system but that's exactly what you're saying Seren which is it's not so much it's not so much the cards you have it's the cards the dealer has and in the case of the Vegas Raiders, I think a lot of people are looking at that and saying, sure, they could be a good team, but they face a harder schedule. Sure, the Chargers could be a good team, but they face a harder schedule than even Kansas City does. Mm -hmm. And you look at Denver and say, maybe Denver's making a play to get to nine, 10 wins just to keep everybody's job and give them, buy them another year to take a quarterback. And the schedule sort of being a nice soft landing for them being the, uh, you know, the possibility there. But in all three of those cases, it's hard to see anybody but maybe L.A. in the case of her, a Herbert sort of explosion being mm. 
a a, a, uh, a risk to Kansas City. Do you agree with that? Do you think the Raiders' ceiling, for example, Seren, is anywhere close to Kansas City uh, repeatedly? No, right? Because like I, I think with the Raiders, the conversation is always, and I've heard you guys say this, not to keep quoting you guys, but I am a fan of the show. Um, so that, that, you know, the defense has got to be better, right? It can't be worse. And that's the common theme. I, I know guys that are, are on the beat for uh, the Raiders in Las Vegas, and that's kind of their theme as well. Well, it can't get worse, so it has to get better. I mean, but how much better does it have to get to be appreciably better, right? To make a difference. Like they can still be crappy and be better, right? Like just, you know, better is all relative. Can they be good? Can they carry the team? If, if Carr can go down and get him the field goal to go up three, can they slam the door and keep the other team from getting the field goal? Or if he can put them up four, can they keep them, you know, away from a touchdown? And I think that'll be the question for the Raiders. And I like what you guys did where you went through every team and did ceiling and floor, right? Because, you know, no one's record is predestined at this point. It's not that, hey, we know the Chiefs are going to win 12. It's 12 no matter what. It's a variance, right? They're dependent upon the factors that we said. And so I, I do think that maybe there's not as much ceiling with, with like a team like the Raiders because where does the growth come? You're, you're expecting it all to be on the defensive side. And if we're to add up the changes they made defensively, um, I don't think there's a lot of growth. I, I do think there's the possibility that they're being dinged too much on offense because some of the losses for the Raiders – where guys didn't end up being hurt, right? Their names, you know, Brown, the tackle going, well, he didn't play that much, right? So you, you lose him, but how much did he really contribute? I think there are a number of guys that left that were hurt that aren't going to be the impact that maybe some people are dinging him. So I do think the Raiders offense is better than advertised. I think there's a reason to believe that Henry Ruggs will bounce, you know, will take a step forward in, in year two now being in the system. And so I think that's there, but you know, the, the biggest threat is the ceiling with Justin Herbert. Is there going to be a sophomore slump? And we're going to find out that we saw really most of the best of what Herbert is, or is he going to go to the next level? You know, he had a very good year. He didn't have a 5,050. I mean, you can make a case statistically. Patrick Mahomes had a sophomore slump and he won the Super Bowl, right, from the numbers. Uh, but I, I think the, the Chargers hold, they got a coach that you don't know what he can do. Is he going to be boy genius? And they got Herbert, who's still got a lot of ceiling. They've got offensive weapons, so they should be able to score. And so I'm fine with the Chargers being the front, but I think the overall best roster is the Broncos. And, and we know, while the design should not be should not be to have 16, 13 games, Big plays can be made by DBs on pick sixes. They can be made on wide receivers that catch slants and, and break a tackle. And they've got the guys that can do those things. Do you think this is sort of a galaxy brain in, uh, thought here, though? All of these teams have aims to beat Kansas City. Now you have it used to be a singular thing. It used to be the Raiders had had you know one defense of approach. The Chargers had another one and Denver had Fangios, right? Mm. Now the Chargers and the Broncos have basically the same defensive approach to football. Does that make does that make it more or less likely that that approach will win, right? Because when the Chargers had that cover three, right, it gave the Chiefs fits. In week 17 of 2019, they weren't good. The game in uh, Mexico in 2019 wasn't great. You talked about week two. That was a grind for the Chiefs to get to 23 points or whatever. And it was a singular point for them. And the, and the 49ers in the Super Bowl ran that same defense and basically flummoxed the Chiefs for three quarters. Now they get four games against that Fangio defense. Is that a bad thing for that tree? Because, like, essentially, the more that – we saw what happened with Lovey Smith and, and Monty Kiffin's defenses and stuff. Once the cover two, once everybody started running it, it started to suck universally because there were ways to figure – you know, you run the tight end up the seam and et cetera, et cetera. 
it's weird, but like, I don't think there are defenses in this division that are going to come spring out. And that's what, when people talk about the Broncos being the sort of uh, prominent roster outside of Kansas city in this division, it's hinged a lot on Fangio. And I think a lot of the chargers bullishness is hinged on Staley, but are we overreacting to schemes that we know in the NFL, especially on the defensive side of the ball are extremely fleeting. I will push back on that a little bit. What makes Staley, what made the chargers so fantastic last year was they had the most diverse set of coverages that they played. Um, And it requires obviously a lot of really talented players, but both those teams have those players. So it, for me, it's less about, oh, I've seen the scheme, and it's more about is one of those defenses going to be healthy throughout the year? Because as we know, it's such a weak link system. And as what you were saying, Seren, to me, it, you know, like a 13 and four, I guess now season for the Broncos. Is it happening because Teddy Bridgewater is competing for the MVP? Probably not. Is it happening because all of their players are healthy and Von Miller is a Pro Bowl season and, you know, uh, Patrick Sertan ends up becoming fantastic and Justin Simmons is amazing again? Like, yes, sure, that makes sense. And you could say the same for the Chargers because uh, Derwin James stays healthy. Um, you know, they have uh, talent on the edge with Bosa and, and you know, they have a, a lot of really good young defensive backs. Uh, Asante Samuel Jr., who they just uh, drafted. But ultimately, it's going to be about which offense can score enough points. Yep. And it's so interesting because the Broncos have, in my opinion, an offense that up until you get to the quarterback reminds me of what the Bron- or of what the Bucks had, which is a ton of diversity across their receiving core. They have three really good receivers. They have a really dynamic tight end. They have a pretty good offensive line. But then the problem is Teddy Bridgewater might have the same initials as Tom Brady, but <laughs> the same quarterback. So it's tricky because, yeah, I think Herbert is the guy with the higher ceiling, but like the Bills never really scared the Chiefs. And Josh Allen is one of those players, right? It, to me, it's really about like, do you have weapons that can take advantage of, of the Chiefs and score enough points? And it's weird because the team with enough weapons has the shitty quarterback. And, you know, the Chargers don't have bad weapons, but they don't have, you know, like that dearth uh, or sorry, that um, uh, massive expanse of them across the field. I, I think that's a great point. And, and, you know, if you took the other three teams around KC in the AFC West and put them together, now you're ready to go toe to toe. Right. Because we'll get to the Chiefs later. I think maybe if, if you know, somebody's sleeping on something and I think it might be the Chiefs defense is going to be better. I, I don't know that's going to be number one, but it's going to be better. And that so when you talk about these offenses, I think what they're going to face from the Kansas City Chiefs is going to be better than what the Chiefs threw at them last year. So in their effort to try to outscore the Chiefs, uh, the, I think they're going to be going up against a more for, formidable defense. And I think it's a higher number they're going to have to get to, as we know, the Chiefs have made improvements on, on the offensive line, which I think is going to help them out uh, offensively quite a bit this year. And so I think for the other teams, you know, pick your poison. What's your formula? And and if I were to, you know, back up and say, okay, well, why would I be wrong about the Broncos it's the motivation of the Broncos, right? Like we can sit here. We always talk about, and, and, you know, fans always talk about, well, winning a championship, 
But are, have the Broncos been constructed or were the Broncos moves, at least in this last offseason, put together to win a championship or were they to get to a 10th win and get one of those worthless trophies that Eric always talks about, right? Yay. We, 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 we're the best in the fourth round of the draft. Well, who cares? You know, you haven't been in the playoffs. They, they are looking for that, that eighth, ninth, 10th win to keep the fan base placated that they think that they're going in the right direction and to get them back into the postseason. And I think to build a winning culture, right? I mean, I don't think Andy Reid th- thought he had a Super Bowl champion in 2013. He was trying to build a winning culture. And it was four or five years down the road before he got the final piece in Patrick Mahomes. But the winning culture was in place when Patrick Mahomes got there. So, yeah, I, I think for the Broncos, you know, there is a bit of a flaw because if you were trying to win a championship, you'd stay the course with Drew Locke, go one more year and see if he can reach any of the ceiling that's there. Instead, they're taking the guy that they think will make the simple throws, right, and and move the chains and at least get them threes and count on their defense to get stops. And that's not a bad formula against the Raiders and against the Chargers, but it's it's flawed against a Chiefs team that, you know, is, is I think going to be better on both sides of the ball than they it was. Last. It was just like that in 2013, right? Like that, that chiefs team could beat the Raiders. They could beat the chargers, but they couldn't beat the Broncos with Manning, right? Like there was just, it was just not going to happen. They could, they could give plucky performances against them, but it was just not going to happen. And once, you know, the problem is, is obviously the, the, when Manning, when Manning fell off, it was because he was old, like with, you know, and, and the chiefs sort of won the, the divisions with Smith in large part because the other teams in the division just fell off while they stayed the same. I I think that that approach with, with the Broncos right now is, is less of a winning one in the sense that it, it's that it, Kansas city is likely not to fall off. I, I, I could be wrong, but it's still the same thing. Like if you look at the NFC North, right? The Packers have fought, have had bad seasons, but ultimately every single year, they're the favorite to win that division mm-hmm. more or less because they got the, the gun at quarterback. And even though that team has been mismanaged at times, they've struggled at times, like ultimately that, you know, that's the only approach, right? Whereas, you know, with Kansas City, they sort of waited out a situation that was a unicorn in Manning in Denver. And then they came up for air and it's like, oh my goodness, we're, you know, the best team in the, I don't know if, if the Broncos are waiting out for that, but it would be foolhardy because again, the other side of it is, there's a legitimate chance that Justin Herbert's very good, right? And there's a legitimate chance that, you know, Derek Carr and and John Gruden figure it out, right? And, you know, Henry Ruggs and Brian Edwards and, you know, uh, the tight end uh, Waller, you know, become an offense. It's like you look up from that and you're like, we we shot for 10 wins, we failed, and now we're at seven wins and we have this, it, we're no better off, you know, like than if we would have started Drew Locke. Let, let, let me, let's work at it backwards, right? Because I think you made a great point, Eric. And that's let's assume the Chiefs do come back to the pack, right? Let's just say that's set in stone. They're going to come back to the pack. And you work backwards and say, okay, well, why would that be? Well, the most obvious one is Patrick Mahomes goes down and Chad Henney's the quarterback. But I've seen a couple of different things. I think ESPN did one, and there's a gentleman, I had him on my radio show, and, and he had done this whole statistical breakdown that teams that win a lot of games and have, win them close, right, are due for a downturn. And he had pulled like teams over the last 20 years that had played, I think it was eight or more one score games and had gone, or maybe it was 10 and had gone eight and two or better in those games. And the chiefs fell into that category. And the next year, almost across the board with a handful of exceptions, those teams took a big downturn. Now there were teams like the Titans led by Kerry Collins. What you found if you dug through those teams was every one of those teams that took the downturns 
were those Marty Schottenheimer Chiefs, right? They were what we're talking about, the Broncos. They were teams that the schedule and the turnovers smiled. They had a really good roster, and they won all these three-point games because they really were only three points better than their opposition. The teams that bucked the trend were twice the Patriots with Tom Brady, once the Colts with Peyton Manning, once the Colts with Andrew Luck, Every one of them had a Hall of Fame caliber quarterback, which I think we would all agree the Kansas City Chiefs do. So from that standpoint that the league appeared to get closer, I think that's the optimism that you have. If you're the Broncos, if you're the Chargers, if you're the Raiders, you say, hey, we, we closed the gap. But in reality, if you look at what it took to beat them, they really only lost two games because they mailed in the final one against the Chargers. They lost to the Raiders in the regular season and they lost to the Bucs and the recipe was exactly the same uh, in both games. It's just the Bucks were better at finishing the job, right? But the Raiders too got up, made the Chiefs play from and played from behind, which they're comfortable doing, but then kept scoring, kept putting them down. Now the Chiefs got into a rhythm and started matching them. The Bucks knocked them out. And and what was the problem? It was twofold. One, early on, the Chiefs aren't going forward on fourth down like you do in two minute offenses late in games against the Chargers when they pulled out week two against the Chargers. It was a last-minute drive. I think they went forward on fourth down twice on the final drive, and they got it. When you employ the fourth down, which coaches should do more, but they don't, when you employ that, then you got to stop Patrick Mahomes a fourth time for every 10 yards, and that's almost impossible. But the other thing they did was they had the offense to keep scoring, and, and the Bucs really leaned on him. And they leaned on a superior advantage at the line of scrimmage. And the Chiefs seemingly – have closed that gap a lot. I'm not going to say it's perfect. I think there's still question marks when you have three rookies starting, but the early returns are that Creed Humphreys is going to be really good at center. They're excited about what Smith has potentially and Yang has potentially a right guard and right tackle. And then Orlando Brown's going to be an upgrade from Mike Remmers at left tackle. And Joe Tooney's one of the best guards in football. You may not agree with the individual spending and the long-term effect that Joe Tooney's contract or a big contract for Orlando Brown coming next off season will have. They make up for it by having really cheap rookies there, but overall in the now, they're better at what was their weakest point. And I think what made them vulnerable, what put them in so many close games was they couldn't knock teams out because they couldn't consistently protect the quarterback and they couldn't get one yard. I mean, how many times did we talk about what is the Anthony Sherman dive play? You know, they, they, they just weren't able to get short yardage and they couldn't handle goal line goal to go situations on the ground. And they, they're planning on being much better largely, as you know, George, because they used a first round pick on a running back last year that will now I was the told, opportunity to shine behind a better offensive line. I, I was told that the running back is what uh, but, leads to success <laughs> in short yardage. But Saren brings up a great point, right? Where a flawed team, it's a lot easier to get better when you're a flawed team when that flaw is not your quarterback, right? So when you mess, you talk about like the 2008 Tennessee Titans, the flaw is that you have Kerry Collins, a quarterback, and it's extremely hard to get over that. The New England Patriots, when they win a bunch of close games because they're not that good, the flaw was always the other stuff on the team. And it's a lot easier to correct the other stuff on the team when you have a great quarterback. And again, that's where I think it's why the, the rest of the market is high on the Chargers, because there is a possibility that Justin Herbert is a nothing else matters quarterback, right? There's a possibility that's true. I think in Las Vegas, I think we're all probably of the of the, the of the opinion that Derek Carr is kind of he's a really good version of the Tannehill Cousins, a golf kind of player, Stafford. And that's going to make it hard for the Vegas Raiders to sort of like consistently compete. But, but you make a great point, Saran, about like what it means to be one of these like close games and what it means to improve. Yeah. Well, the other issue is that um when you look back only one year, 
you forget the context of those teams. So often teams that play a lot of close games are not actually good teams and they probably weren't favored in every single game by eight and a half points. Now, what, why is that important? It's important because when you are an underdog by eight and a half points, there's probably a reason. And the reason is the Kansas City Chiefs had been literally setting the entire rest of the league on fire. So when the Chiefs showed up to play someone, much like the Patriots or the Colts with Manning and Brady, this was the Super Bowl for the other team, right? And yeah. the Chiefs can't play the Super Bowl every year or every week, and neither can the Patriots, so on and so forth. And so that lack of context makes you know that those close games I think le- certainly less meaningful as our simulations would back up, but it also is fool's gold for the other teams. And I look at the Broncos and I, I, you know, their win total is eight and a half. Now, granted, it's very much juice to the over. It's probably more like nine, a nine, a team with a nine win win total is not, that team is not threatening the chiefs. I'm sorry. So if you actually want to threaten the Chiefs, in my opinion, you had to play Drew Locke. And I get that Vic Fangio believes his defense can get it done. I, you're, you're high. If yeah. you think Teddy Bridgewater is going to win the division against the Kansas City Chiefs, you're high. You're hoping for an injury, honestly, to Patrick Mahomes. Your only hope is that Drew Locke is as good as Justin Herbert. Because I'll tell you what, the team that could compete with the Chiefs would be Justin Herbert playing really well, Playing Broncos. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And that was always the worry if you were a Kansas City fan about the Aaron Rodgers thing. If he goes to Denver, that's a tough, that's a tough out for Kansas City. He did not. They they sort of get a break. And you're right. I mean, the other thing about the Chiefs last year was they didn't cover the spread a lot, but they also had like like six of their wins were road wins against teams with 10 or more wins. Mm-hmm. You know, aside from them, it was, you know, Miami, Baltimore, Buffalo. Uh, New Orleans and Tampa Bay were all you know teams they beat on the road last year. There were ten or more victories, and and they but even they, they only, were they only covered the Baltimore game, huh? Yeah, and they were hunted. No, they covered the ba- Buffalo game too, but they That's, yeah they they pushed against New Orleans and Tampa, and then they they got backdoored against Miami. But like the, the, again, that's the that's the context that I think you're absolutely right about, which is that. Um, you know, they're, they're the hunted and the hunters last year were actually a bunch of good teams it, it, finishing off with Tampa Bay and the Super Bowl who, who played a, you know, a game effort against them. Yeah. And I, and I think one of the indicators, you know, for why the bucks, if you look back on it and say, why wasn't everybody on the bucks big? And there were some people that were, you know, the chiefs had a hard time. The Raiders had like four sacks all year. Right. And they all came against the chiefs. Like they were completely inept as a pass rush, but in the game that they won, they were consistently getting to Patrick Mahomes. And that was while Eric Fisher was still healthy. And when you got to the super bowl, Fisher went down at left tackle and you know, that, 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 that was it. That was like, finally the dam broke, right? Like there were little leaks and you had enough people to stick fingers in those leaks. But when the left tackle went, the whole thing broke and, and it was a jailbreak for the bucks all day. But I, and, and the chiefs have, have gone a long way towards improving that team. Again, if you, if you're to look at, flaws or, or where there are openings for the chiefs, a number of different things. One, they're already taking on water potentially on the defensive side and Willie Gay's got a, a toe injury and they're counting on him stepping in and being much more athletic, way better in coverage. He was the top coverage guy in the 2020 draft from the linebacker position. And now he's got a toe injury. How long is that going to keep him out? Tyron Matthew uh, is on the COVID list after testing positive while vaccinated, but testing positive. Uh, and is, is that going to be something that lingers? We know that affects everybody in different ways. Hopefully since he's vaccinated, it won't be a big hit, but if injuries start to pile up, right, that's the things we're talking about. It's an issue, but 
you know, I'll say this. I think the offensive line is better, and there's no doubt they're significantly better guard to guard, but I don't think they're as good as they were when they launched the season last year at the tackles. And Lucas Yang is a rookie, but a rookie third-round pick who had a hip injury his last year at TCU, and I had one scout tell me he was not on their board in that 2020 draft. They felt the, the hip injury was a chronic injury and, and he would struggle to get through four years. So they weren't going to draft him yet. The chiefs are putting him in as the starting right tackle. And in the 50 or so snaps he's had in the preseason, he's looked pretty good. And at left tackle, Orlando Brown is better than Mike Remmers, but he's not as good as a healthy Eric Fisher, at least right now. And he's being asked to play in a different style of offense. So could they be vulnerable to great edge rushers, right? And if you have a healthy Von Miller, then you're getting excited about that or anybody who's got, you know, great edge rushers is thinking, okay, we, we can still pressure Patrick Mahomes and, and create some issues there and doing it without the blitz, uh, I think is one of the things. And, and, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, running back wise, I know we joke around about it. They're certainly optimistic that Clyde Edwards Alaire is going to build off the good rookie season he had last year Thank God. But after, you know he's already been dinged up in the preseason and he was hurt last year and then after that you go to daryl williams who is very pedestrian and and you know Niner, I, I, niners legend Jarek mckinnon not Jarek mckinnon who not flashed forgotten. right i always love that term he flashed uh he had some flashes in the uh, preseason for the chiefs but you know I, I do think one of the things about this offensive line is it's built to run the ball better not to become a rushing team and play wishbone football or anything but I think they feel like they're going to be able to convert third and one without having to run Patrick Mahomes on an option play, right? They need to be able to just fire off and push somebody back a yard and be able to convert from the goal line without having to go through, you know, 25 of Andy Reid's special goal line plays uh, during the course of the regular season, just to punch it in. I mean, if you can just physically move somebody a couple of yards, you can save back some of the, the new wrinkles that Andy Reid has. And I think they're counting on those things to help them to be better. But uh, if they're not better, uh, across the offensive line, then, then I think the league is catching up to them. We'll be right back with uh, our esteemed guest. But, um, you know, it's still kind of hot outside. Mm-hmm. You know what that means. You got you to keep, keep everything trimmed. It's important. It's really important, especially in the summer. I, like, so this is, if you need something to help you out with that, Manscaped has got you covered. But I just want to tell a, a little story about why it's so important. I, I've, I've done some traveling on some planes lately. And you know when you get the, the exit row and they don't have like... Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it blocks sure. your legs. I'm a, I, got, I got big legs. So yeah. I'm an exit row guy. So you're, you're aware of this, Purveyor, right? yeah. So the exit row is nice. It gives you more room to stretch vertically. But horizontally, you can't. You're kind of cramped. Mm-hmm. You need to be you need to be trimmed up and you need the the things that manscaped provides you that really help everything air out a little bit so, uh, comfort is at a premium you need the manscaped uh perform they call it the performance package 4.0 what that really means is it comes with the lawnmower and also the crop reviver the toner the crop preserver basically it's ball deodorant gotta be really honest with you that's what it is it's cooling it's fantastic and if i didn't have it uh traveling would suck a lot more i gotta tell you we got our manscapes in did you did you have you used well so i i needed it one day because me and ben brown the the host of the pff betting podcast we we were going to record the podcast but we had under 17 and a half on kansas city versus arizona in week two of the preseason and Kansas City was driving. They had to th- they had to thread a very thin needle to 
end the game without scoring. Mm -hmm. I don't think I've ever had a better application of ball deodorant in my life than that. When you're sweating out a game, you're sweating out these unders. Manscaped is there for you. That's incredible. Um, <laughs> I don't even know where to go with that. You can like get 20... we, we delayed the, the recording of the podcast just to make sure that that bet hit so that we weren't mm -hmm. on air, on tilt, upset. So my, my points are, the other thing is it's easy to travel with. The battery lasts a really long time. It has a light. It's a really good product. I use it myself on my own body. So if that's not enough for you, then nothing I can do for you. You get 20% off manscaped.com with the promo code PFF. It is, uh, if you don't have something to do this with, then this is the time to start. Okay, so go make it happen, manscaped.com. So it's interesting because we've talked a lot about like the red zone offense and red zone offense is a super fluky you know, part of football anyways, but it was so, it was so out of character, you know, because the chiefs were, and I keep losing my, uh, my, uh, settle down, settle down. All right. Calm down. I know you're fine. I know it makes you, it makes you excited to talk Kansas city. football. It, it does. It, so the, I, here's together. Happens. I have this stupid thing that I'm supposed to plug my IFB that doesn't fit in my ear as a piece of shit in the, and <laughs> it helps me here. But this piece of crap is so bad that I only get like probably 60% of what you're saying anyways. So right. it's like, you know, I'm really overcoming with true grit, but I can't put it in my pocket because when I do, it statics to living hell. So I have to like set it here and hope it doesn't fall. You and are you are what uh, a praise report would call an overcomer. Yes, exactly. And I also people really appreciate that rant on the podcast. Um, but what I was saying is, is it, was it an Andy Reid thing last year? Was like, was it really that the offensive line wasn't good enough, or was it just that it was too cute because they were killing people everywhere else? You know, it's not like when you get to the red zone, like you have to run the ball. You can throw it and gain seven yards, and that's fine. You score a touchdown there from the two. Like, I, I don't know what. Why do you think it was all the offensive line stuff? Um, you know, I think it was it was most of it. Um. What was that? And by the way, when it, as far as when it comes to George and, and, you know, if you just be willing to mess up your perfect quaff a little bit and wear a real set of cans, a real set of headphones like Eric is wearing, then you wouldn't have to worry about it. So don't be so prestigious. Yeah, but then it would mess hair. up my hair. I know. That's my point. Like sacrifice the hair for the good of the broadcast, man. They're also getting, um, ears get hot. <laughs> Warm blooded, so Seren. Uh, uh, yeah. Well, okay. You know, there are those that don't want to wear masks. Why, why should you wear it? <laughs> um, so anyway, I, I digress. We don't want to get political. Um, no, but to your point, I mean, yeah, I, I think this year will tell, right, George? Because they've, they've certainly gotten a lot bigger across the offensive line. I mean, everybody is 6'5 or taller. A 309, Joe Tooney is by far the smallest. Everybody else is 320 or more. Uh, they've gotten bigger and more physical, more of what I think Andy Reid likes his offensive line to look at. And, and it's not just that they've changed over the offensive line. There is a pedigree to every guy that they've, they've put into that starting unit. Orlando Brown graded out really well as a pass protector from the left side. And he's a two-time pro bowler on the right side. Um, really well last year in pass protection, albeit with a run based offense, but you know, there, there's, there's a pedigree there that he's not going to be a disaster. Joe Tooney's tremendous. They spent a lot of money on him and he's been a great guard. 
Creed Humphrey was, was one of the highest and a lot of people thought the best center in the draft and, and they invested a second round in him. There was a second round grade on, on Trey Smith, except for he had blood clots in his lungs, which people are worried about. Will, will he not just not be able to play football, but would he die in your organization that drove him down into the sixth round? And like I said, Lucas Yang was a guy that the same guy who told me, Hey, we took him off the board because of injury said, but we had him graded as a low first round offensive tackle. So they change out that offensive line. And so to push back first, and then to get to your point about Andy, I would say that this is not just a change of offensive line, right? It's not just one guy out, one guy in. It was a wholesale effort to upgrade across the board, and a lot of resources were put towards the upgrade. But to your point about Andy, I think you can't rule it out, that maybe it was a lack of creativity. Maybe there's just so many plays that are out there, or maybe there's just so many plays that are in Andy Reid's mind, and he's hit a ceiling. Uh, maybe we've hit a plateau in football and where Andy could go steal things from the, the pistol offense with Nevada. You know, I remember that was one of the things he was doing in 2013 with Alex Smith was he, he got that and he was grabbing all these things from college that most NFL coaches, defensive coaches were calling. I remember got the Cunningham calling the spread offense, fake football, right? I think there's a mindset from a lot of coaches that like, Oh yeah, that's cute for college. But up here we play real man football and we're going to, we're going to impose our will and all those things. And Andy Reid was willing to embrace you know, different schemes and offenses that, you know, angles became part of it. Like you don't have to just blow a guy up right on his nose. You can blow him up on his shoulder where he doesn't see it coming, right? Like we can do these things and maybe everybody else has now embraced all the edges that Andy Reed had. And so, yeah, he ran out of tricks and, you know, it's as much he ran out of tricks as, you know, because I think there has been here for three or four years Every year, like a significant step forward. I mean, you talk to people in the league, they're like, hey, what Andy's doing now is nothing like what he did with the Eagles. And then it was like, what he's doing now is nothing like what he was doing in 13. And, you know, how many times can you continue to make, let's just arbitrarily throw a number, 20% gains in the creativity of your offense? I mean, there's only 11 guys and only one football. So there is a limit somewhere to what you can do. And Andy Reid, while being open-minded and creative and willing to do things I think other people won't, until we see a coach kick down the fourth down door and, and say, okay, right? Like, because if you kick down the fourth down door, what they don't get, and I've heard you guys talk about this, and I've always wanted to jump in on that, is that it's not just kicking down the fourth down door and giving Patrick Mahomes another chance. It's when you know you're going to go ahead and give him a chance on fourth down, how much more creative do you get on third down? And this speaks to your point, George. Like, are you out of tricks on third and one because you don't want to lose four or, you know, you don't want to get knocked out of field goal range so you don't call the whole, you only use 20% of the play sheet on what you're going to do, where if you knew you were going for it on fourth down, the whole play sheet's available, right? You, you could say, hey, don't let it rip for 50 if it's there because we're coming back on fourth down and going to do it. So is Andy Reid reached maybe the limits of his risk-taking, you know, abilities that he can know he can't go any further and what he needs to unlock even more is to just have his whole play sheet available each time and on third and one he's calling plays to get himself two yards and that that's crippling himself I, well, yeah I, i'm open to that idea yeah i think that's a great point i was at uh, i was watching the illinois nebraska game because i'm why, why? because i'm a glutton for punishment <laughs> Um, but i i remember the illinois was around midfield it was like third and six and i go I'd actually run the ball here and I'm like, because your quarterback's ass and I, I, I would, and it's near midfield and I'd want to, I would go for it on fourth and two, no matter what. Mm -hmm. So like, what's your better chance of getting fourth and two. And like, you know, obviously that quarterback actually played okay, but like, 
But you know what I'm saying? Like, you're right, Saren. Like, maybe Clyde Edwards-Alaire is a good, you know, could run the draw play on third and five, right, and pick up four yards. And if you're willing to sort of do that enough, you could be a better offense. You could take – why would you – why would you use second and long as the down to give Patrick Mahomes a mental break when it can be third and four, right? And we saw that in the AFC Championship game against Chiefs 2018. James White had two first down carries on like third and four, third and three. Mm-hmm. And it's like, of course you would, right? Because the whole defense is like worried about J- Julian Edelman and right. Tom Brady. As they should have been. As they should have been. And you're you're right. I think one of the issues is personnel wise, right? And and the fact is, is like Andy Reid is a very smart coach and he's going to do the most efficient thing to make his offense better. And between the 20s is where a lot of the gains can be had, right? And they have a lot of great in between the 20s players. Tyree Kill is great with space. Uh, Travis Kelsey is great with space. But personnel wise, they're not a box out red zone team and you've seen them try to address their personnel i mean they signed kelvin benjamin for god's sakes to try to be like a well, red zone or the offensive line yeah and they've also but they they tried to draft cornell powell this year now he didn't make the team but he's a bigger physical wide receiver that i think that they're looking for noah gray is a tight end we'll see if that's been a change they have not had a good number two sort of box out tight end forever like that was what sammy Watkins was supposed to be but he wasn't and I think some of it is personnel. And I think sometimes in the red zone scheming, you don't have the space to scheme as well. You have to have the personnel. And I think Pat's good enough in most cases, but last year they just like a lot of the noisy stuff that usually works for him, right? The stuff, think about the Houston Texans game where it was like, he rolls out, invites seven defenders and then shovels it to Travis Kelsey for a touchdown. Like that stuff was, wasn't happening in 2020, which, you know, no, and, and I think it's a great point, but but here's what I think they also need to embrace the idea of is they needed more red zone scores because they weren't as explosive between the 20s. True, very true. Right, and so if third and one is not, you know, just to dumb it down to, to the nth degree to make a point, four or five-yard hooks from the receivers, right, button hooks to just try to get the first down. If you go with, and I think Andy Reid's, you know, for the casual fans, I, I think the nerds that get into the film study and go to the all 22s recognize the brilliance of the pass patterns that Andy Reid creates and how he stretches the defense horizontally, vertically, and he really probes the zone. And, and that's why he wants fast guys, right? Like the bulk of his offense, he needs speed guys because he wants to pull those safeties back to create the underneath for Travis Kelsey. And he wants a tight end that can really move and come across the zone so that those linebackers have to, if they're going to play a zone, they have to trade them off quicker than they can really do it. And they, they get lost. And he's, you know, all these speed guys running around are what make him the best. And I think what, what kind of happened last year was, you know, they lost some of that, because they couldn't protect as much. You know, one, one of the great things in the 2019 Super Bowl, George, you remember it against the Niners um, was when Mahomes comes over on the sideline before the jet chip wasp uh, play. And he says, do we have time? What about wasp? Do we have time to run wasp? Right. That's the exact question that he asked Eric Bieniemy, and he wants that play and they give it to him and he just barely gets rid of the ball. And it's a double move with the last move being made like 20 yards down the field by Tyreek Hill. And he comes wide open. It's actually very similar kind of to the route that the 49ers ran in the preseason game to get the big touchdown um, in, in this year's preseason. But they had the time and Trey Lance had the time and there's a defender closing on him, but he had all day to throw the ball and they could do those things when you can't do those things. Those big plays don't open up as much. And I think they realize that, 
look, we can get down and we have all our tricks. We've shown a lot of our tricks. There's only so many things we can do, but let's get back to scoring from long range. If we can keep Pat on his feet, he'll score from 40 yards out. And we're not as reliant on getting these two yard scores. And, And I think if you can right, maintain all your dynamic abilities as an offense and then bully ball, some people at the goal line, isn't that the ultimate trick? Like if you can save back some of your best stuff and just knock somebody down, like Crow Magnon football is it does not work for 60 minutes and it doesn't work for a hundred yards. The I'm bigger, I'm stronger. Oh, I'll push you off the line. It doesn't work for 60 minutes, but it can work for a couple of plays and it can work for a yard. And I think they're trying to create that at the goal line, but get back to giving more time to Patrick Mahomes to just strike from distance and not need to be better in the red zone because they score before they get to the red zone. Um, the, uh, Kansas City Chiefs talk has been absolutely I, I, look, incredible. We, I tried to extend. Look, I played four corner for the four teams in the AFC West. I played four corner. I know Seren coaches basketball. You're obsessed yeah. with basketball. I played four corners with this division on this podcast for as long as I could. I brought up Herbert three times as a possibility. Yeah, Car, I did true. bring up Car. It's uh, been it's Seren. I've been with Eric most of the afternoon, and you would expect someone's energy to diminish over time. It's like someone injected him with uh, with caffeine pills. I mean, he is drinking coffee, but he's been drinking it for a while. Um, the energy is just, I can feel it here. I want to talk a little betting, though. Um, you're a friend of ours for a reason. You enjoy betting on things. I do. Um, by the way, have you did you enter the super contest or the Circa Millions this year? Uh, we are sorting through which contests we are going to enter. And, uh, but I, I, I don't know which one I got, I have friends in Vegas. And so I know we were in an all college one, a college pro hybrid and a pro one, and then a totals one, but I don't know which one we have been put in. I have boots on the ground in Vegas because I don't know if you know this, we're slow to change in the Midwest. So mm-hmm. we've yet to legalize uh, the yeah. sports betting. So everything has to happen out in Vegas for me. Uh, Eric and I are deliberating what we're going to do as well. We have our eye potentially on the DraftKings uh, millionaire pro whatever pick them. And um, because they, they changed the the pricing for the super contest circa millions. Anyways, long, long story. What I wanted to do is talk about ways to bet this division. It's a boring division to bet, right? The, the chiefs are the primitive favorite to win the division. If you are taking a long shot in the division, maybe it's the Broncos, like you're hoping for an injury at this point. The win totals are also, you know, interesting. And so maybe we'll start there. Um, If you've got to bet a win total in this division, um, and I'll read them here for you. uh, Kansas City is 12 and a half over is minus 130. The, uh, sorry, the over is uh, plus 110. The under is minus DraftKings does that thing where they don't put over and under. They the don't same. put it on they, the They same. put the favorite first. It's yeah, just it's complete sucks. dog shit. The Chargers are nine and a half over minus 110. Under is also minus 110. Denver Broncos, eight and a half. The over is minus 150, as we talked about earlier. The under is plus 120. And the uh, Las Vegas Raiders are seven over minus 120 under plus 100. So which one is the best? Yeah. You what's be- the best bet? If I got to bet one, I'm going to bet the Raiders over. Right? Thanks. That's, that's where I'm going to go because I do think that there's a lot, there's a quarterback in place. 
There's a system in place. Gruden's had the couple of years to knock off the rust and figure out his mistakes. Uh, and I think there's an inspiration here that you don't want to leave a laughing stock, right? You don't want to be a joke. You don't want to be the has been, right? And, and so I think there, I think there should be theoretically a fire in John Gruden for him to keep looking and have had a productive offseason of finding different things. Like I said, I don't think their losses are as pronounced as other people do because I think a lot of their losses didn't play all the time. I do think there's something to you know, defense tends to be, I know you guys talk about coverage that how important it is, but it's also, there's a bigger variance in the coverage. And I think there's a bigger variance in defense. And, and so I think there's a reason to believe that there will be a regression back to the middle and it will be more pronounced on the defensive side of the ball. Plus they've been working at it long enough for God's sake. They ought yeah, to be no able kidding. To get better at some point. So I, I do think the Raiders are the best bet there because I think all the numbers are, are pretty good where they are. I'll say this. Like you should not be betting the Chiefs over, and, and and I know you guys talked about that before. Unless you're like me, and I have bet the Chiefs over every year since Andy Reid came to town, and I haven't lost. Yeah. So you know, I always say, listen, a, a a a train is roaring down the tracks. You either get on the train or you get the hell out of the way. You don't jump out in front of it and try to stop it. So right. I can't be real big. I, I agree. Like when you get out to those big numbers, right? That the math tells you that everything comes back to the middle, but they clearly have the formula for exceeding the norm. And it starts with Mahomes and Andy Reid. And I like what they've done. So I think you bet the Chiefs over if you've been betting them over for years, then you don't get away from that because they do have a great formula. The Patriots would get hung 11 and a half all the time and win 12 plus virtually every single season. So I think there's reason to go ahead and push that, although that number is awfully big. If you're new to the Chiefs, like you should not be betting the over. Like the math is not there to bet the over. What you're saying is that if you're out there, don't jinx my fucking run <laughs> by betting on the Chiefs over. No, no, under, I, I, I'm really not because you know, I'm, I'm with you. I, listen, I think that like I believe like to win in gambling, you have to catch a run, right? Like blackjack's virtually a 50-50 game where you win is catching a run, adding to your bet. It's money management, adding to your bet, and then you get the splits and double downs, and that's where you make your money, right? So it's the same thing on this. If you've been on a roll, then you can stay on that roll. You've banked seven, eight years of, of wins. It's okay to keep pushing it and say, because you're going to hate yourself, right? Part of it's also how are you going to feel at the end? And if you don't play the Chiefs and you've played the Chiefs four years in a row and you've, you're picking them to win the Super Bowl and they're the odds on favorite to win the Super Bowl and they go 14 and three or 15 and two, which is certainly understandable, then you're going to be like, what was I thinking? Why would I get off now? I think it's if you come at it from the first time and you haven't banked that kind of cash, you know, the big picture on a one-time view of that, all the highest ends are, are like the, like the Ravens under is the, is the obvious one when it's up there right around the chiefs. I mean, that's the obvious one, but within this division, I do think the Raiders are going to be an eight plus win team and not, not much more than that. And, and I do think the chiefs have, are, are a difficult one, difficult pill to swallow either direction. So if you, want to bet the chiefs in some way shape or form what in your opinion is the best way to bet them i mean they're the favorites from the super bowl at five to one the bucks six to one obviously their odds to make the division or to win the division are what is it they're minus 380 now um uh make the playoffs make a ton of sense what what do you think makes the most sense to bet the chiefs are you are you riding them throughout the season you know, are you teasing them week one with uh, the the Giants? Like, what is if you want to bet the Chiefs, what's the best way? Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I, I think a lot of it, you know, one way I might look at doing it is money lining them, and, and uh, you know, 
on, on different things and, and parlaying them up with other bets because I think they're a good bet to win, right? Like you mentioned it, the spreads have finally caught up in the sense that, you know, the Chiefs aren't laying four and a half and five and a half. They're laying eight and a half. They're laying, you know, numbers that backdoor covers can get you uh, or flaws, you know, in the Chiefs game plan can get you. So, you know, I, I do think that, you know, there's a lot of like five and six and seven team laying favorites. And I think the chiefs are a strong one to put into that. I know a lot of people have had success doing those kind of things where they parlay up a bunch of favorites, heavy favorites and roll it that way. And I think the chiefs are a good bet to do that. Cause I think they're going to win games, right. And you take the points out of it. And so you're having to lay a big number, but you lose that off. You, you lose a lot of that. If you're now getting, you know, having to play four of them, I know it's well, but you got to win all four. Yeah. But if they're heavy favorites, they can get home. Not every week, I don't think you should put your whole bankroll on one of these things, but if you if you're smart, it's almost kind of like baseball betting. And baseball is much more of a 50-50 proposition. So when you find your opportunity to catch runs on slight favorites and and dogs to medium dogs, you get value there. I think the value in the Chiefs is is being able to use them to supplement some of your other stuff, right? You supplement, you parlay up a Chiefs win on the money line to increase your take on what you think is a good bet someplace else. So, yeah. I mean, that doesn't really answer your question. I know it's kind of a cop out, like, Oh, yeah, it's okay. You know, right. Like, you know, you can't win, you can't win them all Saren. just like you couldn't win against. Yeah. Campaign but here's the thing, also. like they're a great team to tease, right? So like week one against the uh, Cleveland, they're six point favorites. You could tease them down to a pick them. And then now all of a sudden you you get six points with another team. Like that's kind of what Seren's talking about too, where they're no, like. It's a- actually not. Because I think the tease is at being a guy that may have, I think the statute of limitations are over or did take a lot of wagers back in the day and watched how teaser bets do. I think it's called a tease for a reason. And I'm talking about a straight parlay because the returns are better on the tease. I, there are such, and I know you guys do a great job on breaking down the teases and there are situations where you can find that like the Browns game is scary to me. First games, you know, the chiefs lost to a Tennessee Titan team that won what yeah. one game in, in the, in the opener, like week ones are scary, but there's also great lines because they're scary for the odds makers. Cause they don't have enough information to work with. So the chiefs may win that game by 21 points or the Browns might win it outright because we're, we're skewed on what our view is. Sure. I, I tend to think that. They're, sure. But if, but if you're if you're saying that the Chiefs are a team that is a that is the the probability distribution is is clumped on outright wins, I I don't necessarily disagree with that, and I think there is just something where they're so confident in their offense that they'll allow a two score lead to turn into a one score lead, get the ball back, play keep away, end the game. Okay, I get that. But then the other side, and I agree with you. Like I'm assuming the guy, the the folks that you were taking bets, you know, from were not playing Wong teasers through three and seven. But if you play a Wong teaser, like so, let's say you have Dolphins plus two and a half in New England week one, you pile up three and seven on a teaser. You like essentially what I'm saying is kind of what you're saying, which is if you have this big ass parlay already, throw the Chiefs in, get yourself a little bit more. Right. What I'm saying is if some schmuck's going to offer me, uh, if some guy's going to offer me Seahawks plus eight and a half against Indianapolis earlier this summer, I'm going to take that any day of the week. And if I know the Chiefs are a very good team to win the football game, then I like, and then essentially I'm just talking now about Seahawks plus eight and a half, or I'm just talking, you were saying uh, uh, Packers week one before all the shenanigans yep. plus eight and a half. Like you're, what I'm saying is sort of doubling down on what you're saying, Seren, which is, I I worry about all these other bets first, 
And then I throw the Chiefs money line in as something and teasing them down to a zero is like exactly what you're saying. A little hot, I think you got a little plate in front of you. What makes it better? A little hot sauce in there. Yeah, yeah, right. And 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 I and I'll add another one if you're in a place where you can in-game betting, right? Like because I, I think that is moving so fast that and you guys are are, are far more the math guys than me, but I don't know how they can accurately hit the math on a lot of the in-game bets. Yeah, you have to be careful, but I agree with you. Like the the way that these books majority hit make the math is that they offer 20 cent lines mm-hmm. and they they delay it so that if you get the best of it, they often will cancel you, right? That's why you see like the 10 the 10 second runoff like, "Oh, sorry." You know, whereas if you bet a basketball team and then the other team scores a, a, a bucket on you, they're like, oh, great bet. You know, yeah. it's like they have mechanisms because, as you said, Seren, they can't get the math right. You know, so the mechanism is they offer expensive lines and they delay it to a point where they'll often kill you. But if you do bet during commercials and things like that, you can avoid that. And I agree with you for a team like Kansas City, a team like L.A., the Chargers, you know, teams that have characteristics of either like blowing games late or coming yeah. back. That is a good point. I will tell you, I, uh, it's hurtful again that neither of you mentioned this, but here's how I'm going to bet the Chiefs this year. I, the teaser thing we're on board with. I am going to bet Patrick Mahomes rushing overs, props, passing touchdown overs, interception unders. Um, I'm going to bet them every fucking week. And you know why I'm going to do that? Because my man is on a mission. I'm not going to bet him to win the MVP because that's a sucker bet. I'm going to go home and bet props every single fucking week, and I'm going to salivate as he just goes on a rampage uh, of the league, and it's going to be beautiful. And I will probably find other um, props to bet. Like I will probably bet under Clyde Edwards-Hilaire rushing yards every single week just for you, Sran. Just so I can see him run this wonderful offensive line, clearing this beautiful space for him and little tiny Clyde Edwards Hilaire getting chased down. Why do we have to talk about size now? Tackled by what is the so what is the uh rushing total for the season on on Edwards? 900.5. So I took under that when he got injured. That it's going to be a sweat, but uh, I I actually do, I like him over for a number of reasons shocking one well listen and you know me i i I said that that draft pick was the ultimate you know plummox for me because it was my number one running back and i and i like anyone who's vertically challenged uh my number one running back and i do think he's a really talented back same going to my team but i don't want to see him take a running back that high right so it was it was bittersweet to say the least but i do think they're going to be better running the ball and i think like if if we're to say how does andy reed get the edge it's it's if he makes the running game better it opens up everything else and i do think that this is going to be a better blocking offensive line and 900 remember is on 17 games now right we're down to what 50 what is it i haven't done the math it was 62 and a half a game to get to a thousand so now what is it 58.8 58 points so we're down to 59 yards a game uh to get to a thousand and you know that's not that much so for him we're, we're now down to to roughly what a 51 or two or three 54 yards, something like that mm-hmm. for him to, to find that number. And so what's your weekly number going to be, right? I mean, like if 900 is the baseline, then you're talking about, you're going to take under 54 week by week. And I, and I think, you know, I, so I, I think, I don't think your returns will be as, 
There's also there's also the the simple fact that we talked about this a little bit for season long props. Every position taking more hits in a game is going to yep. mean more injuries. Whereas quarterbacks, like what is it, another hit or two, depending on, you know, how good your quarterback is at, at getting rid of the ball. So, you know, that that will be um, interesting to see as well. Like, is are we just going to see more players with the extra game? Are we really going to see that many more snaps played for, you know, running backs and and receivers? Um, we, we end every podcast with a special segment. Um, Eric and I have been giving recommendations to the good people, um, everything from food we eat, uh, methodologies we try, podcasts we listen to, books we read. Um, and I'm very excited for you to give us and our wonderful listeners a recommendation. Uh, for books to read? No, no, it doesn't have to be a book. It can be literally anything that has improved like, like, like your can't... life. Yeah, like Joe's, for example, was right, Joe's Kansas City barbecue. You, everybody that visits Kansas City, I tell because you gave me that recommendation once. Yeah. So Joe's Kansas City barbecue, three great locations in KC, the original inside the gas station. Yes. You got to go, go, go there. It is uh, literally every baseball team that comes through town, every every concert you know, that comes in town, the band goes down there or they send somebody down there to go get it for them. Uh, but like you always see people out taking pictures. Joe's is a must in Kansas city. Uh, if you haven't watched Ozark, it is phenomenal uh, as far as a great show and the wire is required viewing for anyone who's come from privilege, right. To get a decent uh, and entertaining uh, view of the rest of the world um podcast of course is the pff forecast mm, right I'm good recommendation i like right. that one. uh my old man walks always come uh, first with the uh, pff forecast in a book like if you like fiction um for your kids have them read watership down uh that's still my favorite book that i ever read as a kid and i think the um biography of vince lombardi i forget what it's called there's several, but one that came out about 10 years ago is one of the better things to read because Vince Lombardi is this iconic um, figure where now he's been romanced to where everything is just a positive, right? He was this tremendous winner. But when you hear what it was like to be, you know, his wife, his son, and be around him and that there were some flaws and kind of what made him into what he was, even going back to him playing football at Fordham and what college football was like in those days, it, it peels back some layers and describes some things about the game and about one of the icons that I guarantee you, you didn't know. When it, we should have known that you weren't just going to get one recommendation. It was going to be recommendations <laughs> with Seren because he's that type of guy. Um, this was fantastic despite the, um, the, the massive amount of Kansas City Chiefs stock. Thank God they're fucking good. That's uh, all I have to say. <laughs> um, but we appreciate you, buddy. Um, if you are not a fan of Seren Petros, you should be now. Thank you so much, my man, and uh, good luck. Thank you. Thank you. Always my pleasure, guys. Keep doing what you're doing. I'm a big fan. Special thanks, of course, to Seren. Very generous with his time um, and his takes on, on the Kansas City Chiefs and his Clyde Edwards-Hilaire love, which I can't get enough of. Um, we will be back, as we talked about, uh, starting next Sunday going live on YouTube, Periscope. You can find us on Twitter. Um, 
after every Sunday night football game. It's going to be great. We're going to guess the lines. It's been way too long since we've guessed the lines. Um, it's going to be a blast. We will be back, of course, on Wednesday with uh, a pod. Um, it's going to be fantastic. A special guest we've not had on in a little while, um, but uh, it's going to be great. We're going to, of course, talk about the week one slate of games um, for the NFL. So we'll see you guys on Wednesday on the eve of football. I can't fucking wait. See you guys.